0: What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity,
1: inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group
2: i'm nina i am the woman of color in the group
0: and i'm mike i'm uh the blind guy hello everybody welcome back to choose inclusion i am uh super excited to be back with my two favorite co-hosts nina and ubaldo hello guys
2: hey mike hey yubi hey hello everybody it's
0: good to come back your voices yeah, and we're we're really excited to uh, have a conversation today with an intervention specialist, which is a term I just learned about, and special education teacher from Ohio, Melinda Arnost, and uh, super excited to have you on the program today with us, Melinda, because um, a I'm from Ohio, and b I spent a fair amount of time growing up with professionals like yourself. So welcome to the program.
3: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, I am. I'm excited to dive right into because what I forgot to mention on uh, your introduction is uh, budding author, and I am super excited to hear uh, what your book, uh, what what book you're uh, writing right now. Can you uh, can we start it off with a bang and just talk about that for a little bit?
3: Sure. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm being an intervention specialist. I've been around a lot of kids with unique abilities, as I like to call it. Some people call it, you know, special needs. But I do think every one of us is special in our own way. So calling it that seems a little redundant. So yeah, I have kids with like unique abilities. And um, when I first started out, I used to pull them out of the general education classroom a lot and work with them one-on-one. But the things I was working with them on are more social-emotional related, like how to control your impulses or what's a big problem or um, like the zones of regulation. So talking about feelings and things like that and the more i pulled out my kids out of the classroom i realized why am i doing this because they should be in there and those kids should also be getting those lessons so i talked with the teachers i worked with and um a couple years ago we kind of started implementing these lessons with the whole group and what we found was that like my kids were staying in there longer they were accomplishing their goals all the other students in the classroom were benefiting and these social emotional lessons kind of turned into more um of a curriculum so i made a giant curriculum and we just kind of went off of that. And we went off of what the classroom was feeling and what they were dealing with. And um, just the results were amazing. So this summer, I really buckered down and uh, started writing out all my lessons. And then with that, I thought, okay, how do we make this even more better? Like, how do we like include everybody and talk about other stuff too? So I added in a couple chapters about communication because in every job, communication is a struggle. So I kind of t- talk about like, you know, how to deal with certain personalities and when to meet up. Cause in the education world, like time is like non-existent. Like there's hardly any time to plan or coordinate or collaborate with teachers. Um, so I kind of give tips and trades in there. And then I also wanted to add an inclusive dictionary at the end to kind of help these teachers embrace the inclusion in the classroom. So I kind of started off with like these social emotional lessons and branched out into this bigger overarching picture. Um, yeah, for everybody to feel included. So it's like teaching these youngsters about kindness, compassion, inclusion. It's cool to be different. We accept each other. You know, things, things that the world really needs right now.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it's 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 so incredible because it was really born out of still like this. And you sort of talked about this. Um, this idea, you know, that, that, that protect what's mine, right. This mentality of um, that, that everybody has, right. Not just, um, not just teachers, but we find it in, in teams that that we work with and organizations, you know, it's like this mentality of like, no, we're not going to share, right. We're not going to, we're not going to work together. I'm going to protect what's mine and leave it at that. And, and, you know, kind of put up these walls around what I've created. I mean, is that, it, that, is that kind of where that came from? I mean, what was the experience like for you to get to this point, to finally put this thing together?
3: I think like every, every teacher has probably had, or anybody in this world has had a story where you kind of had to work with someone you didn't see eye to eye on, you know? And, um, a lot of times we tend to get, yeah, it's like that power tripping feeling. Like I also have four paraprofessionals professionals in my room and they get to go out and help my kids throughout the building. And, um, You know, it's just, it's just funny because sometimes you see that like, well, it's my student, not yours. Don't talk to him that way. Like, it's like, yeah, you kind of get that, like you can't share or communicate. And I don't know if it just happens naturally. And then over time, we just don't, don't fix it. So some of these lessons that I'm teaching these kids are like to express how you feel. So like if I were to get upset because I spilled juice all over my homework, I, instead of yelling and screaming and whining, I could just say, oh, I feel so frustrated when I spilled this juice all over my paper, because now it's ruined. And like, by voicing how you feel is such a better response than overreacting. And I think of that lesson. And I think of adults. And I mean, we just joked about the debate. I mean, what if they used an I message or a statement that could make all the difference? Like if you're working with someone you hate, maybe tell them how you feel instead of ignore it for six months and vent to your coworker, other coworker you know, so a lot of these lessons also, I feel like go hand in hand with uh, that communication sharing piece as well. Yeah. And Melinda,
2: part of the reason, you know, we, we connected with each other is because, you know, I think we're all passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think the perspective you're bringing in is really different from some of our other guests, because, you know, you are coming at it from this lens of, you know, being in the field, working with people with disabilities, but can you connect for our audience exactly how the work you're doing as a teacher is related to diversity, equity, and inclusion?
3: Oh, yeah. So I I work in an autism unit. So typically these kids are, um, you know, more neurotypical and they have their quirks and their fixations and, you know, things that make them different. Um, so, yeah, my approach is to kind of work with these general education teachers and really expand um, their definition of inclusion. Like, hey, you know, a lot of a lot of the teachers will say, like, you know, my kids and your kids, but why can't they just be our kids? And that's how I feel like in the workplace, it should be more of that, too. Like, you should be welcoming to no matter what kind of ability or disability, you know, you have.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you brought it up, too the workplace because uh, we also thought you know with some of our pre-call pre-call uh, discussions like this yes you're doing this from an education perspective helping young people um you know have a uh, gosh I, I hate using the word normal but you're have, have have a more typical educational experience and I as I told you so many times I was uh, I was in the uh, the classroom with um, uh, a lot of other students with disabilities, and it 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 it's not because I was um, completely slow. I'm a little slow, <laughs> but I'm not not totally slow um, at at picking up concepts. But because I was a slower reader, um, you know, as I was losing my eyesight as a very young boy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, like, I I I really um, appreciate you know what you do and how you do that, but. At the end of the day, you know, now we are talking about how this work that you're doing now, like this, this could really be needed and utilized in, in businesses, right? Like, so, um, you know, kind of part of an HR handbook you know, here's some materials on how to, you know, how, how to create empathy, um, you know, across your teams. I, like, that sounds like amazing work that can be done. Can you, and, and I know some of your uh, material, like, is applicable within the business setting. Could you, could you maybe share some of that?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think like in the, um, so like what you were saying with the empathy, like, I think if, like a lot of my lessons are, are practical real world um, lessons. So, I mean, like, so I have one where, like, I have a whole, like, chapter or lesson on, um, you know, writing, like, creating, like, finding pen pals, right? So last year, I had um, a different class with, you know, a a different class right to us that had um, different abilities, and we wrote back and forth, and even just, like, something as small as that, and in my book, I also mentioned, like, you could do nursing homes and things like that. um, That small act, like, those kids would write to other kids with and they didn't know you know disability or not it was a blended class as well and just things that they learned about each other without seeing that person i think is huge you know like they're like oh my gosh he likes comics i like comics but guess what like that little boy didn't know the one he was writing to was like on the spectrum and nonverbal. you know and like just something small like that like i i love those empathy lessons and we have a ton of books um of real-life people with, um, you know, like a person who is, has muscular dystrophy in a wheelchair, writes this amazing book where he literally asks those uncomfortable questions that all kids want to ask him. So we really dive deep into those empathy lessons. And then I think if you brought that into the business side and show that they're not so different, kind of like get under your skin a little bit. Hey, look, they like the same things you. When you find that common ground, that could go like so far. And that's where you see those um, like, made.
1: And I, the... the the one thing that sticks out to me is the inclusive dictionary that you have like that, that in and of itself, it would, would be huge. Like you could probably, you know, sell that as its own thing because I think more often than not, it's a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication because we're not using the same definitions or experiences of these really key things that, that matter, right. That, that, can lead to building a classroom where every kid no matter who they are feels like they belong there right and right. doesn't feel like their different abilities or whatever are being um magnified mm-hmm. it's just they just they're they're there they're there they're all there for the same reason
3: yeah um, that those youngsters like just take this and it just becomes such a natural thing when they're older so if they are in the workforce yeah. they won't will don't see somebody as different, you know, like that's the whole, like, oh, I would, that would be my goal is when they're seniors ready to get jobs or whatever, they would just be like, well, like, it's no big deal. You know, they really go for who's the best fit. They're not going well, to
1: that. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember like in Nina and Mike, and I, and I don't know if you remember or not, but like where I'm just trying to remember where it started going off the rails for like when we were growing up you know, because to your point, Melinda, you know, yeah, let's, if, if we teach them this now, it should carry on. But, but also like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just trying to remember. I don't remember where it went off the rails for, for me, my generation.
3: That like increased in standardized testing and like teachers are just not, you know, teachers are just, there's so much stuff piled on them that they have to do. And I feel like a lot of those like feely sharing is caring lessons are put to the back burner because like, oh my goodness, if they don't score well on this standardized test, you know, like the government won't, you know, like there's just, ugh, it's, it stinks that sometimes that is like the focus of concern for educators now.
2: Well, one of the things that, you know, we don't really talk about what educators, everyone thinks about the work you do with children, but there's a, so much work you have to do navigating adults as well and navigating personality conflicts. You know, and especially as you come in with these kind of new ideas around inclusion initiatives and you might've gotten some pushback in in that process, how how did you go about navigating these personality conflicts that come up with the adults you have to interact with?
3: Yeah, yeah, my first couple of years were tough, especially when you're young and new. A lot of those older teachers are just look at you like, no way, you know, like I've been here for 30 years. This is what I do. I don't change my plans and it's hard. But if I had to give like, my biggest piece of advice, and I put it in the book a lot too, is like you build that relationship, but you almost have to be like sneaky about it at first, <laughs> you know, like I, I do suggest in my book, you could, you can do like personality tests. I think those are not always hundred percent accurate, but it kind of gives you a little like icebreaker to talk about like, Oh, you teach this way or you see it this way. Look at, I got this. But if you find that common ground, like, you know, you could be cold and rough to talk to but if you find that common ground that you have like oh you like to go to taco bell so do i and then slowly build the relationships but again like everyone's different so it's it could be tough but i think as long as you have that and i do have to say i feel like my team is a little bit contagious in that my paraprofessionals are all super positive too so we kind of spread the wealth um around the school like we just keep trying to work at it it definitely won't happen overnight but um if you could gain their trust in that relationship and then you're in and then you can kind of be like, "Hey, what about this idea?" Or you know, you help them out and point another student out, or something, something along those lines. <laughs> but it is tricky.
0: I I gotta tell you, uh, Melinda, that I um, again, this the the topic, the work that you do, very near and dear to to my heart. Um, my because uh, so what, what uh, kind of my daytime job. Um, uh, we we help uh, professionals with disabilities find employment opportunities, and one of the taglines that I always use when I when I'm pitching the idea of people with disabilities in organizations is that we add value to your uh, organization's bottom line and culture. Mm-hmm. So i I wanted to see um, a how does that resonate with you when you think of your students? Do you because I I just i just feel like when when others are kind of um uh w- when they're socialized with you know again uh people with varying abilities uh they they actually you know kind of organically start to you know realize um uh, you know, other strengths, they start to, um, you know, find more common ground. Do you, I, I believe that in the, the professional sense. W- what are your thoughts at the, at the elementary sense?
3: Yeah, um, I definitely feel like it adds um, value. I, and I do think that teachers, like when they see that label, they get fearful. So if you see like autism or Tourette's or Rett syndrome, they may ultimate, automatically like be nervous or think that it's going to be extra work. And then once they get to know, um, you know, these kids, they're like, wow, they added some empathy, they added patience, they added new ideas. I mean, what they can bring to the classroom is huge. And I think too, about that sharing thing we talked about, maybe sometimes if these kids come with like an aide or a paraprofessional, you know, some of the teachers, again, because of that sharing component might be a little turned off. But ultimately, once you get to know them, they get so much more value. And again, like some of the accommodations or, you um, support that we give our students can benefit everybody. Like, you know, that's basically what the book's about.
1: (laughs) Well, and how, because, I mean, you you, you said this before, oh, sorry, Nina. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, because, you know, you mentioned something um, when we first connected about, you know, kids do want to share their emotions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, do you, does that go away, or you know what? Do the same ways that that you create space for them to share their emotions? Do, can those things apply in a corporate setting, in a workplace setting? Like, or, or is there something else that needs to go along with that? You know what I mean?
3: No, I think so, and it's funny. Kids love sharing it, but like you said, like adults. I think if you sat two adults down that didn't work well together, and you were like, "Hey." Why don't you tell each other how you feel? I think that would be really uncomfortable and really difficult. Because so I do think um, I don't know if this happens just naturally or it's life. Because even I, I I struggle with it sometimes too. Like if I am frustrated working with somebody and the thought of going up to them and telling them like I'm frustrated is a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> so oh, I be I don't know when when you do lose that. Kind of, I mean, do you guys agree? Like would if you guys were you know, having a fight with somebody other than, like, your family, like, would it be uncomfortable for you to express your emotion?
1: It's interesting. Well, Nina, go ahead.
3: No, I mean, I
2: was going to say, I think we're trained, you know, from a young age, especially, especially as you enter the workforce.
3: Mm-hmm. You're
2: basically told expressing emotions at work is, is forbidden and looked down upon and I think this new generation of folks that are coming up into the workforce are really changing the conversation around that. Um, because you know I think there's more of a discussion around people bringing their whole, whole selves into work and that we don't necessarily compartmentalize things the way an older generation looked at work versus life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I've definitely struggled with when I first entered the workforce 20 years ago. Um, but I have tried to lead by example by showing my emotions and wearing it on my sleeve and a lot of work-related stuff.
0: Yeah. And I, I totally see Nina doing that because man, when she's mad at me, holy buckets do yeah. I know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's also well-deserved usually, Mike.
2: <laughs>
0: guilty as charged, I guilty
1: as charged. <laughs> Well, it is. It is. I mean, it it, it is interesting, you know, because you're right, and and very much like, like we're taught not to show our emotions. There's also these the systemic policies and and structures in place that are basically go against what you're fighting, and with with the book Melinda, which I think is is the ability for people to operate. And who cares about your differences? Like, why should there be, be a highlight on that? But, but there are so many policies and procedures and rules and things that are in place that that really force that issue.
2: Yeah.
1: And I mean, how? Like, what, what do you? I don't know. Like, how how do you do you have that conversation with with kids about?
3: Yeah and you know like sort of, yeah like yeah. in my book too we talk about like self self-advocate like a lot of my kids struggle with just self-advocating and um and especially as they get older like when i taught middle school a lot of them they didn't know about their disability and they didn't know how to self-advocate like you know if you if you need extra time on this test all you have to do is say something you know and, and i remember just trying to teach them how to you know fight for themselves because like in the working world like you can still do that too and i think a lot of people like nina said like a lot of them, once they hit the working world, like, yeah, they can't show emotion. They can't talk about it. They have to just do what they're, and there comes to a point, yeah, you have to do what you're being told, but there's also, like, little stuff around that, like, that will help you, especially if you need it. Like, you're not just going to, if you were, you know, struggling to walk, no one's going to just, like, not give you a wheelchair. Like, it, there's, like, something simple as that. Like, it's, um, you know, and a lot of them do, like, need maybe extended time or, like, one of my students just needs things highlighted, like, some keywords highlighted on a test. So, it's not... It's not cheating, you know, it's it's the same test. It just looks a little different. And I, I know some teachers get a little, um, and in my book too, I put a bunch of accommodations that are simple and easy that all students can use. And it's not cheating. I mean, an accommodation just means the same material just altered a little bit. You know, you're still testing them on the same material. It just made the, the question made a little different. Because when you think of multiple choice and how boring that might be, <laughs> you may rewrite the question so it doesn't have to be multiple choice and it's still okay. So.
0: I, I love that you talk about that as well, because so many times, um, you know, that that those accommodations uh, that gets brought up for what we do as well. And uh, so it's a conversation that we we have to have at the professional level, too. And it's many times what we talk to organizations about is that it's it's a technology solution. Many times that helps. Um, individuals, r- whether it's, you know, more time, whether, uh, well, for blind, low vision, you know, many times it's, you know, can can digitally we get it from an auditory perspective or can we get large print or, you know, those type of accommodations, just recognizing that um, uh, the work is going to be done uh, the same way and uh it's just it's it's like what you're saying and it it really does help organizations uh put their heads around that um that conversation piece of reasonable accommodation so yeah many times we um and again i love the work that you're doing because so many times we get professionals with disabilities who again have they have great education they've got great skills all sorts of things they struggle with being able to talk um, to organizations about their disability. And I, I'm always a big fan of just saying like, I am the amazing badass engineer. I am because of my blindness. Like it made me a superior listener and don't, don't ask my wife about that, but I am. <laughs> um, um, I, so I, I am a huge fan of, of like, uh, saying like, it's the, like these differences m- make you a, a creative problem solver. It, it makes you, um, quite honestly, be a bit more empathetic. Uh, it kind of forces your hand into some of those situations. So, uh, I love, I love the work that you're doing. I really do. Melinda, I am so thrilled to, uh, that you reached out to us and that you were on our podcast today. Um, Ubaldo and Nina, any, any final questions?
1: No, this is great. I, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's so much um, division right in, in, in our country right now, but there's also this, this lack of, of, you know, really like diving in and looking for help in a lot of different areas. And that's what I think that's, what's been really exciting about talking with you, Melinda, is that you've got this perspective that, um, people won't think about, right? Because they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm done with school. So, um, you know, I don't need to worry about what it was like or what I learned back then and blah, blah, blah. But no, you kind of like, there are lessons to be learned. And so I think this this book that's coming out is great. Uh, what's it called by the way?
3: It's called, um, Empowering Inclusion. The tool yes. teachers need to help all students succeed.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. And it,
3: oh, thanks, yeah, yeah <laughs>
1: And it comes out in the winter, right? Like in a couple yeah. months. Yeah.
3: So right now it's it's basically done. I just need a couple more beta readers. I want to make sure to like, you know, spread it so far as much as I can, just in case they catch something um, I didn't think of, or, you know, and I need beta readers. You know, of course my mom's a big fan, so she's read it already, but I need other ones. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And then all I have to do is, you know, make it happen. Like it's it's done. I just I just want a couple more eyes before I release it. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, I... I love it. And when when you do have it uh, published, please let us know because we will absolutely put it out there uh, yeah. on, uh, on our social and, and website and that sort of thing. So thank you so much, Melinda.
3: Awesome. Thank you guys. It was so much fun.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening, continuing to listen. Um, we've got a lot more cool stuff coming. So please Stick with us, ChooseInclusion.com and links out to all the different places you can find us. So yeah, again, thank you so much, Melinda. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Nina. Another great show.
0: Thanks guys. Thanks, Melinda.
1: Thank
2: you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.